Good morning, everyone. As we return to our seats, let's go ahead and stand for the word of the Lord. Philippians 2, 1 through 5. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Good, good. It's good to gather with you on this day, this beautiful fall Sunday that we get to be together as the church. Uh, I'm looking forward to jumping into God's word with you this morning. And so let's go ahead and pray and ask God to bless our time in his word. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning and just want to acknowledge your presence. God, we're grateful that we don't just gather this morning uh, as a bunch of people in a room, in a, in a middle school cafeteria to sit and hang out for a bit. We gather in the presence of you, our God and King and Lord and Savior. And so Lord, we, we acknowledge your presence this morning and we ask that we would not only just acknowledge it with our minds, but, but experience your presence this morning. We pray by the power of the Holy Spirit, that you would do a work in our hearts and minds this morning. And I pray that you would give us hearts of wisdom today. I pray that you would establish your work on us and through us as your people. God, would you help us to be attentive today by the power of your Spirit, attentive today, believing that you want to speak to us today, that you are alive and well, God, and by the power of your Spirit, through your living and active word, you want to speak to us specifically. And so I pray we'd receive what you have to say to us today. I pray your Holy Spirit would give us ears to hear and eyes to see. And that anything that's said this morning from your word wouldn't just be about information for our brains, for our minds, but would impact our hearts and actually impact our lives, that we would move and follow you in every aspect of who we are. And that through that, God, that we wouldn't get glory, that we wouldn't get praise, that people wouldn't think more highly of us, but they would think more highly of you. And so we ask that you would do that work this morning as we dive into your word, your living and active word. God, would you use it to bring us closer to you today? We pray that you'd be honored in this time, that you'd be glorified in this time. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would do a work. And we pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. I've always uh, really enjoyed music, even since I was young, and I think a lot of that is because my parents often listened to music in the car. Growing up, it was always, you know, the 60s and 70s, we listened to all those tunes, so I have some songs that I really enjoy from bands of that era of music. And I've always been, uh, I've always enjoyed music. In fact, I got my very first album when I was three years old. Any guesses as to what that album was? Oh, if only I, three Backstreet Boys. I think I was in high school when the Backstreet Boys came out. So, Michael Jackson's Thriller. That was my first, my first album. And I'm sure if you went over to my parents' house, my mom would love to show you home videos uh, of me dancing my Michael Jackson dance moves. 
Now, all of my music, though, was on tapes. Like, those are audio cassettes. I know some of you, if you're in the Backstreet Boys generation, may not quite understand what that is. But I had all my music on tapes before I got CDs. I didn't have CDs until I was in high school or something like that uh, because I was born in the 80s and grew up in the 90s. But I remember as a kid trying to learn the lyrics to certain songs. In order to do that, when you have a tape, is you pop it in, you play it, you hit stop, and you rewind. And you try and guess about where you need to stop. You hit play again, listen. Oh, it wasn't quite the right spot. I need to rewind a bit more. And you listen again. You do it over and over and over again until you can actually pick up what it is that the singer is singing. So I caught all the words. In order to do this, I had to slow down and really listen and pay attention over and over again, trying to focus on what was being said so that I could really get all of it. And that concept of rewinding and slowing down and focusing in is actually a pretty helpful thing when it comes to taking to heart God's Word for our lives. Often we breeze past it. Maybe we're encouraged by God's Word. Maybe even in the moment we feel convicted by God's Word. But a lot of times, if we're honest... It's easy for us just to kind of roll past it. We don't stop and slow down and kind of sit and soak in God's word and allow our hearts and our lives to be impacted by it, to allow our heart to kind of marinate in God's word. Last week, we looked at Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, and that is a foundational text. It's a foundational text for all that Paul says in this letter, in the book of Philippians, but it's also a foundational text for every aspect of your life. A text that if you slow down, if you take to heart what God says, it can revolutionize your life. And by revolutionizing your life can revolutionize our community. And so we're going to do some rewinding today and next week looking back over verses 1 through 8 and then ahead through verse 11 to continue to learn what Paul calls us to in light of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And so as we rewind today, as we slow down today, as we go back and look a bit more, a little bit longer at what we looked at last week, my hope is that God will use his word to continue to mold and shape you as individuals and then shape us collectively as the body of Christ, to be disciples of Jesus who love God and who love others more than we love ourselves. So let's go ahead and jump into Philippians 2 once again this morning, and may God bless the preaching of his word. We learned last week about this call for us that that Paul gives to us as redeemed and restored followers of Jesus, people who have been brought together because of Jesus. That you and I can have a relationship with one another and have a healthy relationship with one another regardless of our background, regardless of our experiences, regardless of our ethnicity, regardless of our culture, regardless of our socioeconomic status, regardless of our political affiliations or the sports teams we like, whatever it happens to be that might be differences, we can be brought together because of Jesus. It's by Jesus and through Jesus that we can have unity with one another. But in order for us to have genuine unity, not only in the church, but really in any relationship that you have in your life, in order for you to have unity, it has to be unity that's rooted in humility and sacrificial love. 
Paul calls us, as we heard again this morning, to do nothing out of selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility to count others, not as significant as as yourselves, but more significant than yourself. What this text shows us is that true humility, biblical humility, Christ-like humility, is the opposite of self-importance. It's the opposite of living a self-focused life. It's embracing our creatureliness, letting God be God and us be his creatures that he's made, that he's created in his own image to follow him as king, to follow him as Lord. And then in verse 4, what we see, it's kind of the outflow, the evidence of this inner posture of humility. See, humility is a condition of the heart. It's not something you can just grab onto and acquire on your own. It's it's the reality of the depth of your heart. And so what we see in verse 4 is the outflow of that inner posture, whether you really do count others as more significant than yourselves. Look at verse 4 again. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And so it's a condition of the heart that's shown in the way you live in relationship to others. Andrew Murray, in his book, Humility, says, Humility towards others will be the only sufficient proof that our humility before God is real. So this kind of humility, it's only possible because of the one who humbled himself for us. Jesus, the very Son of God, who came to us, who came as one of us, and who came to rescue us. And he came to rescue us from our sin. And he came to rescue us from our selfishness. Jesus went to a cross to crucify your pride. My pride. He saved you. He came to serve you so that you might be set free from your sin and selfishness. And what we saw last week, what we're going to see a bit today, and what we're going to look at again next week, is that Jesus is our means and example of humility. Apart from him, you can do nothing. And so with our understanding of humility and our need for Jesus, in order for us to be a humble church made up of humble people, I want to rewind a bit. And what I want to do today is I want to focus in on, zero in on verses 3 and 4. And in doing that, what I want to do this morning is draw out a very specific application for us as a church. So let's look at verse 3. In it, Paul says, do nothing. This is an exhaustive statement. Nothing. Paul doesn't give caveats or exceptions. He doesn't say, like, well, don't do most everything, but some stuff is okay. Some areas of your life are off limits to what I'm about to say. No, he says, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing out of conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Another way to think about this is seeing it as a call to do everything you do in humility. Do everything you do in humility. What that means is that it affects your entire life. Your entire life. It affects your relationships and your marriage. It affects your parenting. It affects your roommates and how you interact with them. If you're Uh, still living at home with your folks as a kid, with your parents. It affects that relationship. It affects your work. It affects how you love your neighbor. 
See, we need to understand something here this morning, and this is for you, whether you're a follower of Jesus or are not yet a follower of Jesus. Jesus lays claim to the entirety of your life. As the true and rightful king, as the first and the last, as the once dead, now risen and ruling and reigning savior of the world, there is no aspect of your life, no aspect of your existence that he doesn't say, mine. He is the sovereign. He is Lord with a capital L. He alone sits on the throne and he will not share it with another. He's full of grace and truth Yet he gives no exceptions for the life that he calls you to. See, when Jesus says to you, take up your cross and follow me, he means it. Literally. See, last week we talked about the fact that crucifixion, the the Roman form of execution that Jesus went through for your sake, for my sake, the goal of crucifixion ultimately was death, but it was to destroy the person in the process. The goal was about the destruction of a person. And so when Jesus says to you, take up your cross and follow me, this isn't simply a metaphor. It's a call to die to yourself. To see your old life with its self-focus and its self-importance and its false self-sufficiency crucified so that in its place, a new life might rise up. A life that's lived for God in his glory. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, Paul talks about this. He says, for the love of Christ controls us. God's love controls us. Because we have concluded this, Paul says, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all. Why? That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So let me ask you this morning, has this actually taken place in your life? Is Jesus Lord over the entirety of your life? And and I say that to you this morning, whether you've never claimed to follow Christ or you've been claiming to follow Christ for a really long time, is that the reality of your life now? Have you turned to Christ? Have you trusted in Jesus and are you following him? Because see, the reality is that while our old self has passed away, it still seeks to assert itself through the desires of the flesh, through the lies of the enemy, through the temptations of the world. And even as spirit-filled men and women made alive by Christ, united to Christ, we still struggle with being self-focused. We still struggle with sin. And our self-focus and our selfish ambition, our belief that we are better than others, that our wants and desires are more important than others, they actually get in the way of loving and serving others. See, if we take an honest assessment of our lives, we're often too busy and too self-involved. We're like the first two travelers in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Maybe you've heard this story before, maybe you haven't. Jesus tells a parable about a Jewish man who's on the road to Jericho and he is robbed by a band of thieves and robbers and and beaten and left for dead. And the first two people that come by him are religious people. And they see this man on the side of the road that's left for dead and instead of going and helping them, they make excuses. And both of those excuses are both a life that's too busy 
in a life that's full of self-focus. I can't go help him. That would make me unclean. I, I can't do that. I need to stay away from him. That's thinking too highly of yourself. And at the same time, I have stuff to do. I need to get to this place at this time. I need to hurry along the way to get there. That's being too busy. And again, thinking that your life and your needs are more important than someone else's. If we're honest, that's a lot of us a lot of the time. Your goals, even good goals, your wants, even innocent ones, your desires, even right ones, often supersede everything else in your life. And I know that because it's true for me. If I don't stop and think about why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I don't do what I don't do, I can just continue to breeze through life, not taking into consideration that I might be thinking too highly of myself, which gets in the way of serving those around me. And I think the reason for that is because we're taken captive by a lie that our culture is constantly feeding to us, our culture is constantly preaching to us that self-fulfillment and self-gratification and self-glorification are the ultimate goal. But friends, that is the complete opposite of the call of the Christian life. A life that Jesus calls us to, which is inherently oriented towards sacrificial love. Jesus himself shows us this. We looked at this some last week. We'll look at it again more next week. But Jesus showed us the kind of life he's called us to when he called us to follow him. In Mark chapter 10, verses 43 through 45, Jesus says this, But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, counting others more significant than yourself, seeing their needs as important as your own, even above your own, is not only the goal, but really it's the remedy of our selfish ambition and conceit. It's becoming more like Jesus. It's actually following him. Humility helps you to see yourself rightly. It helps you to see others rightly so that you might actually see others. Especially those in the margins. See, when we seek to love and serve others that are in the margins, that are marginalized in our culture and in our world, that in and of itself is humbling. Because it's often people that are in those situations that aren't able to give you anything in return. But that's exactly what Jesus did for us. You could do nothing. You could offer Jesus nothing. You had nothing. You were nothing. But Jesus gave it all to redeem you from the prison of death and darkness. And so friends, we need to see we have a very, very clear picture of the extent to which we are called now to do this in the person and work of Jesus, our Savior, King. He has shown us that. But notice what we're supposed to, who we're supposed to do this with. If you look back at the text, we're called to do this in reference and in regard to others. So we have to ask ourselves a question this morning. Who are the others? This is not a reference if you watched the TV show Lost a few years ago, right? The others that he's talking about here at the most basic level are those inside and outside of the church. What Paul is kind of saying to us in this phrase, this word, others, is really anyone. Anyone. 
And so if we're trying to figure out, well, who do I need to do this with? I'm not really sure. Like, do I need to care about these people more than I care about myself? Or is it just this group of people over here? No, Paul is trying to tell us, he's trying to communicate to us. It doesn't matter who it is. It's anyone and everyone. And I think what Paul has in mind in particular here is those who might be in need. And the reason we know this is because we see it in the heart of the Father. God pursues the weak and the wayward. God pursues the downtrodden and forgotten in order to bring renewal to their life, in order to bring redemption through his son who has come to bring life and hope and peace and who says that he will come again and declare, behold, I am making all things new. We know this about the Father, and we know that until the full and final redemption of all things happen, until the new heavens and the new earth come, until the partial gives way to the perfect, we are called to follow Jesus now. And to do that by getting to work loving God and loving others more than we love ourselves. To do the good work he prepared beforehand for us so that we might walk in it. But we do that not so that we can gain favor from God. We do this not so that God will love us more than he already does. God has given us favor in and through Jesus. He has lavished love on us in and through Jesus. We obey from a position of acceptance, not a position in order to gain God's acceptance. You and I, though, we find ourselves in a world and in a culture that might give head nods to altruism. It might give head nods to philanthropy or generosity or service. If we're honest, we like to feel good when we, when we put on display that we're standing behind something. We, we like to feel like we're making an impact when we change our profile pictures to say that we stand behind a cause or a group of people. But the life Jesus called us to isn't a life of changing your profile picture. The life Jesus calls you to is a life of action, and movement of being the body of Christ, made new in Christ to make much of Christ. And there are so many people in our world right now who are the others. Those right now that God is calling you to, to see their needs as just as significant, if not more significant than yours, to see them as human beings made in the image of God as more significant than you see yourself. There's people inside the church who are the others. There's people outside of the church who are the others. And we could stop right now, right here, and I could send you home and say, hey, I just want you to go think about that. I want you to go apply that to your life, with whatever relationship you happen to be in, any kind of group of people. This is for all of life, all relationships. But today, I want to give one specific application because today is a special day for me and for our church Today is Orphan Sunday. Orphan Sunday is a time once a year where churches all over North America take time to look at God's word and call one another to care for, to serve, and to love the fatherless of the world. And to do so is a direct application, a direct implication of the gospel of grace and mercy And the reason we're looking at this today is because as we find ourselves in one of the most crucial texts of Scripture, one of the most life-shaping passages in the Bible, there's a crisis going on around us. And the people at the center of that crisis are the others in this text. But they're not just the others, they're the silent others. As children, they have no voice. 
They have no ability to advocate for themselves, to demand basic human rights. And this is often the case with anyone who's marginalized in culture and in society. They're the voiceless, and when you're voiceless, you're powerless. But it's especially true for children. Now, you may be thinking, why are we talking about this as we gather as the church? I mean, this seems like a social justice issue, and the church should only care about the gospel. Well, you're right. This is a social issue, issue, and you're right that we should focus on the gospel. But the gospel is concerned with social things. Let me explain. The reason the gospel is good news is because you and I need to be rescued from sin and darkness. And Jesus is the only way for that to happen in your life. The reason the gospel is good news is because we need to be rescued from sin and darkness both personally and socially. Every ounce and inch of brokenness in our world is a result of sin. So, if the gospel speaks to the realities of sin and our need for redemption, then the gospel speaks to social brokenness. Caring for the oppressed and marginalized, caring for orphans isn't the gospel, but it is an implication of the gospel. See, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Sharing, I mean, caring and loving and serving orphans is an act of mercy. Sharing our lives with them, going to them, being involved, reaching out, showing mercy is an overflow of the grace we've received. And Jesus models this for us. Jesus did both evangelism and mercy. In fact, oftentimes, Jesus did mercy before he engaged someone's soul. He sought to seek their physical need before meeting their spiritual need. As one pastor puts it, the proclamation of good news and the practice of good deeds go together. And so this is a kingdom issue for us. Our king calls us to this. And as kingdom people, citizens of the kingdom of God, we should take up the causes and cares of our king, whether they're politically or culturally popular or not. Orphans are near and dear to the heart of our God, who many times refers to himself as the father to the fatherless. Who, if we look through the Old Testament, see over and over again laws and commands that are given to God's people about how they should interact with and care for the fatherless. We see this in the heart of our Father, the actions of our Father, who Himself has sought out spiritual orphans, you and me. He found you when you were lost and alone. He brought you into a family, He brought you into His family. See, church, we need, to, we need to think about this. It would be phenomenal, deserving all praise and all thankfulness for all eternity, for God to simply save you and bring you into his kingdom. None of us deserve that. We deserve to be eternally separated from God, bearing the full weight and wrath of God's holy and righteous judgment on us for our rebellion against him. Yet God made a way for you to be brought into the kingdom of God, but he didn't just bring you into the kingdom. He went beyond that. If you are in Christ, he didn't just redeem you and welcome you into the edge of his kingdom. And again, that would be enough for us to praise him for all eternity. He didn't just bring you into his kingdom. He welcomed you to his table. If God is your father, then you are his child through adoption. And Ephesians 5.1 tells us to be imitators of God. 
be imitators of God. And so if we're going to be faithful to that, if we're going to be faithful to do nothing from selfish ambition and conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves, if we're going to look not only to our own interests, but also the interests of others, then the silent others of our world is a great place to engage. It's why one of our confident hopes as a church is adoption, orphan care, and foster care. We've put together these 16 confident hopes as leaders and as members of the church to say, God, we want to see you cultivate this culture within our church. And so one of those things that we're praying and working towards is that we would have a culture at Sojourn of adoption, orphan care, and foster care, where we see our church where there's families and people who are regularly pursuing adoption and orphan care and foster care, where we're educating one another, where we're growing in our understanding, where we're caring for and resourcing those who are in the process of pursuing those things or have already done those things. And we do that as an overflow of grace. We do that as an overflow of the mercy we've received. It's just another way to be disciples who make disciples. And so as leaders in the church, we desire to see this be a part of the culture of our church because we desire to live out the call of Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Now again, you may be sitting here this morning saying that sounds good for at least some people in this room, but I don't think it necessarily applies to me. But let's look back at our text and and ask that question, who does this apply to? Who should take up this call and cause? The simple answer is all of us. Look at verse 4, let each of you, no exceptions, this includes everyone. I think it's so interesting Paul often, when he writes these letters, is communicating to the larger community, the unified body of Christ, but here he speaks to the individual. Why? Because a humble, servant-oriented church is made up of humble, servant-oriented people. Individual people who love God and others more than themselves because their lives have been radically changed by God's love for them in the person and work of Jesus. And so if we're going to be faithful to our king, if we're going to seek to walk in humility and love and serve others, including the silent others, we have to take action. Empowered by the Holy Spirit and encouraged together by the community of the church. And we can't just listen to this and say, that sounds good. I should think about that. I should do something about that and then never actually do anything. Verse 4 is an action-oriented text. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. Don't just meet your own interests and needs, but look to those of others. And so to help us with that, I want to get practical with you about ways that we can actually live this out in application to caring for orphans in our world. But to begin to do that, I actually want to invite a few people up on stage to spend some time looking at this together and hearing from them about how they've taken up this cause to fight for and love the silent others. I'm going to invite the three people up on stage for a short little kind of interview panel discussion. So if you guys want to come on up, I'll introduce them to you. We'll spend some time. I just want you to hear from them, and then we'll close out our time together in a minute. So you guys come on up.
All right, let me introduce everybody real quick if you don't know who all is up on the stage. This uh, pretty looking lady to my right is my wife, Amy, um, and then sitting next to her is Sarah and C. Young Lee. So just grateful to have them up and just share a bit of their heart with you this morning. I know for me, uh, my heart really became gripped with caring for orphans and just seeing the reality of the crisis of orphans in our world when Amy and I went to uh, Africa uh, I guess 11 years ago, and spent some time with orphans in Ethiopia uh, for a while, and just recognizing that these are, these are real people who really need Jesus and really need to be loved and cared for. And it just reminded me of my own adoption in Christ, that God sought me out and brought me into relationship with Him. But let me ask you guys, where, uh, when and did you become passionate about caring, caring for orphans? Yeah, yeah.
facility. And um, so I felt, I personally felt that day that um, I at least had to pick up some information to take with me so that uh, I could eventually get through it. Um, and uh, didn't look at it immediately when I went home. I, I put it away on the shelf. But um, I remember, I think a number of months later, I did start looking through it. And um, I think from there, God slowly uh, just you know, stirred my heart to talk about it, to look into the, all the various options. And um, yeah. What, uh, what, are you, what are you guys currently doing to care for orphans? Like, what does that currently look like in your life when it comes to being involved in global orphan care? And so that's something very practical for us and how um, he's really involved in our lives. Um, another way is um, being the deacon of Orphan Care is really scheming on how uh, we as a church can um, be engaged uh, in global orphan care and uh, local foster care. Um, there are, I was reading an article earlier this week, 150 million orphans in the world. Mm. this moment, we would make a less than 1% difference within that 150 million children. And so and that in itself is highly practical to me. So um, just, just really thinking about ways of how do we get the church involved in it and looking at, okay, what can we practically do um, in, in a very relevant terms of service? What, do, what does each of us, what is the role that each of us have to play in it? And hmm. so equipping um, the church with that. Yeah, great. Yeah, I think he made such a great point there because um, I think for so long the church has um, been encouraging people to adopt and yes, we want to adopt these kids but there are so many kids that are not adoptable and so um, that is a huge passion of mine is just thinking about ways that we can care for orphans um, because so many of them are not able to be adopted um, and so I think just like he emphasized, thinking as a church how we can engage the orphan crisis um, but then for me personally, um, I went through, through a few years of just kind of being confused about this heart that the Lord had given me for um, orphans um, because um, we were in the adoption process for a while and that ended um, in January of this year. He opened and closed those doors to international adoption. And so I was like, okay, we're not in the adoption process anymore. And I wasn't working for the organization um, that I worked for anymore, um, but it just continued to still be on my heart, on Justin's heart, and um, so the Lord actually gave me an opportunity about a month or so ago to start working back at International World in their Indian program, and so um, I am getting to work there again, which has been really awesome, and one of the things that they're allowing me to do is um, just work on orphan advocacy, um, specifically for the Indian program, and so I'm getting to go through the database of like, all the children and look at their photos and their information and try to um, just find ways that we can advocate for these kids like via uh, AmeriCorps' blog and um, just getting information out there about certain kids.
those and arrange your medical information so that you get the ILU page back um, would be good matches for families. And so, yeah, that's something that I'm super excited about that I've been able to participate in in the past month or so. Awesome. What would you guys say to someone who was in your place when you, when God kind of started to spark your, your, at least your attention or noticing the need to engage in, in orphan care? So somebody that's maybe sitting here this morning that's like, oh, that was me a few years ago. What would you, what would you say to them?
spaceship is hard. And so even just coming alongside um, an adoptive family and asking how you can support them, love them, care for them in this way, um, you can feel um, there's a lot of people in the church that could that have that flexibility and that freedom to go and find life for our friends. Um, so yeah, it doesn't always have to look like what you um, heard it look like in the past or um, or it doesn't have to look like adoption if that's not what we're calling to you choose at the moment. Um, I feel like we can just, just pray and think about how you could be involved in your particular season of life. Cool. Well, thank you guys so much for sharing a bit of your heart and journey to making this a part of your life. Um, I'm encouraged, and there's, we could spend so much more time talking through all these things. So I would encourage you guys, if you do have questions or thoughts uh, or want to learn more about their stories or just what God might be doing in you, um, that you would go just seek them out today uh, or in the coming weeks ahead. They'd love, any of the three of them would love to talk to you more uh, about uh, what God's done in their life and what, he hopes, uh, what they hope to see him do in your life as well. So, so thank you guys so much. Um, as, we, as we finish up our time here this morning, like, I just want to give you some more practical things. Um, as Amy said, there, there's a way for all of us to, to be involved in this. And, and what I don't want you to think this morning is that because of your life stage right now, um, that this is irrelevant to you. Um, there may be certain aspects of it that are, uh, but certainly not to the point where you can't be involved in, in some way. And so I just want to give you a few practical ways uh, that you can do that this morning as we close out our time. Uh, first off, as Siyoung mentioned, as, as everyone has talked through a little bit this morning, uh, you could pursue adopting. Um, there are uh, a lot of kids, there, as Siyoung said, there's a, roughly estimates of 150 uh, million kids in the world right now who are classified as orphans. Uh, a lot of them aren't adoptable, but there still are a lot that are. And so just pursuing that, and maybe the first step for you is just even considering that, uh, praying through it, asking God, may he want you to go down that road just as he did in the Lee's life. And, and it's not just international adoption, there's domestic adoption as well. Lots of children within our own country um, that are without a mom and a dad. But I do want to say this to you as you're considering it, is never to think of adoption as plan B for your life. Um, this isn't something you just do if you, you can't have children biologically. It might be something you pursue, and maybe that's something God uses to lead you to that, but it's not plan B. It's not a backup plan for your life. Um, you weren't plan B for God. Uh, he pursued you and intended to adopt you into his family through Christ. And so not, can, not seeing it as a plan B for your life, um, I just encourage you to consider that. Also, just want to let you know that we do have an adoption fund that we've set up as a church for uh, covenant members at Sojourn to be able to come alongside of them and provide financial grants to families to be able to help them pursue adoption because it can get expensive. Uh, and so we've set aside, I think right now we have uh, upwards of $30,000 set aside just to come alongside of and help families uh, that are a part of our church to be able to do that. Another thing you can do is maybe you're not ready to take that step to pursue adoption, but you can adopt an orphan to pray for. Uh, and so back in the back, before you head out, there's a little table back there, and Amy's going to be back there. Uh, and we have these little, um, 
these little kind of bookmark-sized pieces of paper that have a picture of a child either from India or China on them, uh, along with uh, an American given name. This is not their actual name, uh, but American names, uh, their age, what country they're from, a little bit of information uh, about them. So these are two children that our family is going to be praying for. Uh, Asher, who's 10 years old from India. It says, Asher's a playful, social, and talkative boy with HIV. His caretakers describe him as smart, happy, and attentive. He's well attached to his nannies and is attending school. He speaks Hindi and a few words in English and started showing interest in books. And there's Darby, who's a seven-year-old from China. Darby's an obedient, curious, and active little girl. She likes to help others, and her caretaker calls her little helper. She likes to write and draw and does so carefully. She has strong movement ability and is active, though she has been diagnosed with cerebral palsy. She makes her caretakers laugh. Now, the reason we have these kids, and there's roughly 30, 35 of them in the back right now, uh, is because all these kids are, could be adopted into families, but right now, for a variety of reasons, aren't. And so one way that we can advocate for these orphans is to advocate for them before the Father. Um, and just pray that God would cultivate a heart within someone within the world to adopt them to be their mom and dad. And so what might God do if, just, if all of us went back there and grabbed one of those as a family and took one of those and actually committed to pray regularly for these children that someone would come alongside of them and say they're mine uh, and bring them into their family? And so I would love to see all of those taken today. Uh, there's, there are a lot more kids we can advocate for. And so if they're not, um, if they are not, if they're all gone today, uh, we can get you more. Uh, but I would love for all of them to, to be taken today so that we can be praying for each of these kids. There's a note on here that you'll see if you grab one that you can't distribute these. This is uh, private information and just for privacy reasons. But you can take it and you can be praying for it uh, for them and for each of these children to see that actually take place. It's a great way to introduce and engage your kids when it comes to caring for orphans in this way and living out Philippians 2, 3 through 4. And so I encourage you to adopt an orphan to pray for. Uh, but orphan ministry is not simply an adoption issue. There's lots of functional orphans living uh, in our culture and world. And so Siyoung also mentioned foster care. Uh, there's a crisis in our country right now. There's almost 500,000 kids in the foster care system in the United States. That's continued to grow exponentially. And many scholars and, and sociologists are starting to think that the main cause and reason for that right now is because of opioids. And so uh, there's, a, there's a growing number of kids in our country who need a, a mom and dad, maybe even just temporarily, someone to love and care for them. Uh, in Virginia alone in 2017, there were more than 7,000 kids who spent at least one day in foster care. What would it look like if we humbled ourselves and did something about this? I was just thinking like if three churches in Fairfax just said, hey, we're going to do something about foster care in Virginia. We're going to do something about foster care in Fairfax County. What would God do with that? If a few of our families said, I'm going to take the next step to pursue fostering some kids, uh, whether they're with me for a few days, a few months, or years, or even leads to adoption, what might God do in our county if we took a step towards that. So there's foster care that we can participate in. And then there's also just kind of the global orphan care. James 1.27 calls us to visit orphans in their distress. This idea of visiting isn't just kind of showing up, though that's a big part of it, but it's actually caring for them, loving on them, spending time with them. 
And so one of the things our hope that we hope to do in the next year is actually take a trip to go visit orphans uh, as a church, that a group of us would go to a particular place in the world to just spend time loving on and caring for orphans. And so we're going to be praying towards that, working on that, and share information with you as we nail down some of those plans. But orphan care could also be orphan sponsorship. Uh, There's lots of organizations, uh, several that we would recommend to you. Uh, I'll list them off for you now, but it's 127 Worldwide, uh, One Orphan, which is a part of America World Adoption, and then Life Song for Orphans. All of those organizations have a way for you to actually sponsor an orphan, providing financial resources so that they can be cared for and discipled towards Jesus. So I encourage you to consider doing that. And then lastly, within orphan care is just orphan prevention. Uh, organizations like Compassion International, uh, almost all of those kids are not orphans, uh, but you can come alongside and sponsor one of those children so they don't become orphans. A lot of times kids are, become orphans because of financial uh, issues, because of poverty and disease. And so when we come alongside and seek to care for them um, with sponsoring them and supporting them, we can prevent there being more orphans in our world. And so orphan care is a way you can engage. And then lastly, C. Young mentioned this, is just to learn more uh, there's, there's books that can be read. There's articles that can be digested as you continue to pray and consider this. We're going to give two books away uh, at the end of the service. One is called Orphan Justice, and the other one is called Orphanology. Uh, both would be great places for you to start uh, for where God might be pricking and prodding you to take a step of faith to care for the silent others in our world. If you are thinking maybe God's stirring your heart a little bit more for adoption in particular, my recommendation would be for you to read a book called Adopted for Life by Russell Moore, where he shares a bit of his adoption journey uh, and also the theology of that as well. Uh, Amy and I read that several years ago when we were considering adopting, and so you could pick that up as well. And then lastly, you could go to a website uh, by Christian Alliance for Orphans. So their website is cafo.org and learn more about how to care for orphans in our world. But there's so many other ideas, ideas that are going to be birthed from your heart and your mind. And in the midst of all this, we can be tempted to be overwhelmed. Uh, But but that doesn't mean we can't do something. There's something, as Amy said, for everybody to do. And there's, there's everyone can do at least one of these five things. And so it doesn't matter what stage of life you're in, if you're a high school student, a college student, if you're well past uh, the time of having kids in your home, wherever you find yourself, if you're overwhelmed with the kids you have in your life right now, uh, there's still ways that you can engage with caring for orphans. And so this is our seventh Orphan Sunday as a church. And my hope is that there's someone here this morning that's another Sarah Lee, another C. Young Lee, another Amy Pearson, that God's doing a work in you if you would just simply be attentive to the Spirit. So my encouragement to you is to make this a part of your life, no matter what stage of your life you're in. As we looked at Philippians 2 last week, and are rewinding to look at it a bit this week and next, what we see Jesus do is model a downward descent for the sake of others. A downward descent for the sake of others. In this case, it was us, but Paul calls us as his people to do the same See, orphan care isn't just an issue for the rest of the world. It is an issue for the church. It's an issue for us to take up with our identities rooted in Christ as redeemed children of God. And caring for orphans has been a defining characteristic of Jesus' people throughout history. And so I don't want that to be any different for us at Sojourn. Listen, indifference in our lives leads to inaction. Indifference leads to inaction. And inaction to the things that God calls us to take action on is disobedience. So I don't want us to be a disobedient people. 
And so would you consider just making yourself available to God, asking him, God, what do you want me to do when it comes to doing this? Will we as a church see orphans as the silent others who in humility we count more significant than ourselves? May God help us to be a humble, holy, obedient people. And may the God who moved toward us move us to move toward others. I love the gift it is to take communion with you each week as we gather together as the church. It's always a reminder to me that I'm not alone, that I belong to Jesus and I, and I get to be with you as well, to be a family together. And so as we come forward this morning to receive the elements, as you take and eat the bread, a picture of Christ's body broken for you, if, as you take and drink the cup, a picture of Christ's blood shed for you, May the presence and power and spirit of Jesus encourage you and remind you of his willingness to humble himself to serve you in your greatest need so that you might be adopted into God's family. And then look around you and see all of your brothers and sisters, your family, who Jesus did the same thing for as well. And then let's sing together, worshiping through song, rejoicing through song, that we now have the privilege to take up the cause of our king as citizens of the kingdom and if you're not a follower of Jesus, we would just ask you not to come forward to take communion. Uh, this is our declaration that our only hope is Christ, that apart from him that we are still orphaned, that we're still lost. And so if you don't yet know Jesus, we just ask you to hang in your seat, but pray and ask God to reveal himself to you. If you're ready to place your faith in Jesus, that you would just tell God that, God, I want to be rescued. I want to be a part of your family. I want to be saved from my sin. And you can do that as you sit in your seat, but then please let somebody around you know so that we can journey with you as you seek to journey with Jesus. Those of you that will come forward, you can come to the tables at the front or the back, tear off a small piece of bread and take a cup to drink. And what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you today. Let's pray. Father God, we just come before you and we just ask that you would help us to do this, to love others more than we love ourselves. Help us to know how we can engage and care for the silent others, to care for orphans in our world. And God, I just pray that you'd forgive us for our fear. You'd forgive us of our self-focus. God, help us to be a humble people. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your kindness to us that you sought us out, that you sought us in our distress, that you came to us to rescue us, that we might have a relationship with you through Christ your Son. We praise you. We're hopeful for what you'll do in us and through us. And we thank you for Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Come forward whenever you're ready.